0: Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Thank you both for joining us on Civic Tech Chat this time. Could you each introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do?
1: Yes, uh, hello, I'm Nao. Uh, I'm a global relationship lead uh, of Code for Japan, Um, I'm currently based in Kyoto, Japan, and I'm working with the uh, local civic tech community in Japan and also working with the international civic tech communities outside of Japan to expand our network. Um, And me personally, uh, I'm not an engineer, uh, but I really like to work with uh, engineers and then, yeah, and expand the idea of the civic tech, so that's me.
2: Hi, I'm Lena Patel. Um, I'm part of the Code for Australia community. I am uh, was previously part of the team, the core team or the base team that was uh, running the organisation in Australia for a couple of years, and uh, have since moved out of that. And I'm part of the broader um, civic tech community here in Australia. Similar to now, I'm not a developer. I sit more on the design side of things, and so my work these days is as a a professional facilitator um, and also as a collaboration designer, which is about um, how um, a group of people can work better together. Uh, so those are the sorts of things that I was doing whilst part of the Code for Australia uh, team um, and similar to now um, remain connected to the global civic tech um, community through Code for All. And I'm based in uh, Melbourne, Australia.
0: For each of you, what would you say is your personal why? You know, that thing that deep down that drives you to get out of bed each morning and do what you do.
1: So for my personal why, uh, that drives me to get out of my, get out of bed uh, every morning would be um, currently like we are facing uh, coronavirus uh, in Japan. It's a big thing in Japan currently, but we also have uh, many natural disasters. Uh like every month, like we have earthquake or like heavy rains. And then because of the global warming, and then also the global, um, this kind of changing uh, the daily life in Japan, is a little bit uh, changing, significantly. So I really want to fix this uh, uh, with my personal contribution to the society. So that uh, brought me to join uh, Code for Japan uh, because I realised technology is something uh, which we haven't uh, made use of it so much in the Japanese society. So I believe yeah, technology could maximise the impact of the, each person's project.
2: That's, that's uh, excellent uh, now. And it's so useful to be reminded of people's um, physical... Um, reality. Australia is not beset by as many natural disasters as Japanese generally, um, Japan sorry, uh, generally is. However, we're, yeah, we're all being affected by um, climate change in pretty major ways now. Uh, my personal why, um, I describe my mission as being to alleviate needless workplace suffering and to bring more kindness into the world one team at a time. So, I uh, that mission kind of places me and my work um, within workplaces um, and the I guess where the site or the location of my work is in teams so uh, whether that's um, you know a small team in an operational type area or a leadership team that's leading an organization um, my theory or my hypothesis is that um, Team is the smallest unit at which we can practice being human with each other. And for those of us who spend so, um, who are fortunate enough to have uh, work in our lives, um, we spend a lot more time there than possibly in many other um, social groups that we're, or groups of people that we're part of. So I figure if I can put some effort into how to make um, that moment in people's lives more human, um, I imagine that kind of ripples out into the rest of their lives. So that's why I get out of bed every morning.
0: Are there any pieces of media, whether it's a podcast, something that's in print, video, or something else entirely that y'all would recommend for our listeners to check out?
1: Well, I would recommend uh, Japanese media. Uh, It's called note.com. Sometimes people outside of Japan says that it is hard to access to the information in Japan because of the language barrier. Since, you know, all the article, or the the news in Japan is written in Japanese, so it is not really accessible. But, you know, you always have Google Translate, so you can translate Japanese article uh, into your languages. And then, yeah, in this platform, uh, which is a platform anybody can upload uh, their blog post. And many Japanese civic techers, uh, including uh, engineers and also uh, uh, project managers, uh, posting about their activities. So I think if you're interested in Japanese civic tech scene, that's the platform you can refer to.
2: I would uh, recommend uh, Dense Discovery, which is a newsletter. It's published out, currently out of uh, Melbourne and uh, the human behind that, um, Kai, is also the publisher of a magazine called Offscreen Magazine, which is a print-only tech magazine, which is just such a treat. So Dense Discovery as a weekly newsletter is just a very deeply thought uh, take on tech. And what I really like about that newsletter is it sort of gets you to question perhaps the the more kind of ethical aspects of whatever it is that you're undertaking. Um, and, I, and I enjoy it because it's quite an opinionated newsletter and I, I enjoy um, people having a position on, you know, for those of us working in tech and design, I, I enjoy when people have a, have a position or have an opinion The other one I would point people's attention to is Future Crunch, which um, I believe also comes out of Australia. Future Crunch is kind of, it's in the name, it's future oriented. What I really like about what Future Crunch are doing is, again, it's a very conscious, thoughtful approach to thinking about the future. And it is actually, for the most part, very hopeful. So you, you just have to kind of, it doesn't take much to step online or out your front door. And there's waves of negativity in um, our current reporting and our current use of social media. So to have these people um, writing in a, in a hopeful tone about the possibility of technology is um, a really great thing. So it's, it's a good thing to have in your information diet.
0: I suppose now we can go ahead and shift to our main topic for today. And that is the initiative that uh, both of you are rather familiar with called Tech for Non-Tech with Code for All. Like with our personal introductions, I think it would be good for us to start with the concept of why. Uh, So what do you all think is the why for this program? And how would you describe then what it is at a high level for folks?
2: Tech for Non-Tech is a day-long training program that uh, different organisations can run, um, and when participants come, it's essentially around um, bridging the uh, gap between technical and non-technical people in terms of web development. So at the moment, the the content of it is around how the internet is made. Essentially, would be the summary. So uh, what are the basic building blocks of the internet as we know it, and then. Um, how do people build on that, and then how to work well with developers? Now, in terms of the why, um, what we an interesting thing we've discovered about tech for non-tech is that it's a bit like I don't know. I feel like there's a useful <laughs> analogy here, but like it's a bit like a I don't know. It's like a bit of a tin of paint, right? And you can use that paint on all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons. Um, it's a it's a very multi-purpose. Um, um, a training day so the why actually reflects a need in the location where it's being run. So when it started off it uh, was dreamt up by uh, some folk at Inspiral Dev Academy in New Zealand um, and what the problem they were trying to solve was they were graduating people from their boot camp so from the um, Dev Academy boot camp. And um, an interesting thing about their boot camp was that they were um, specifically uh, skilling would-be developers with what, what I would call emotional intelligence and a sense of like your work is essentially with humans and you need to know how to be human with the other humans in order to be a really good developer. So the problem that they were trying to solve is that they were graduating these kind of emotionally aware developers but they were landing in workplaces that were not developer ready. So then tech for non-tech was to make workplaces developer ready. And that was in service of their bootcamp um, um, grad- graduates. When I brought it across to Australia in collaboration with Dev Academy. Um, the why for me was that we were running fellowship programs and you can go to the Code for Australia website to, to find out what a fellowship program was. And we were encountering the same thing. So we were bringing in these, um, employing these really talented web developers and sort of developers and designers who had zero experience in government. And that was one of the kind of requirements was that you, 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 hadn't had experience with the bureaucracy to come and work in a bureaucracy and bring that wonderful magic and fresh pair of eyes. And again, we were finding, um, of course, the government departments that Code for Australia partnered with, they had never worked with developers before. And that was kind of part of the magic that the people had never worked in government and the government had never worked with um, this new way of thinking. Well, new for them, not, not new in the world. So... My motivation with Tech for Non Tech was to, to create a slightly softer <laughs> landing <laughs> for these incredible humans we had recruited to come and join us on uh, this, this fun adventure. Um, and I do believe it made a difference for um, folk who arrived and where their um, colleagues in government had participated in Tech for Non Tech. Um, it made for a slightly softer landing and a bit more understanding on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that was our motivation. Um, I, think, um, I think it's a different thing now when you uh, hand it across to... So our, our colleagues in um, South Africa, um, open up South Africa, they had a completely different motivation, which, um, and I know I'm speaking for them, but as I understood it, was around... Um, putting within reach of uh, uh, civic organisations, uh, civic, so, civic, civil society organisations, putting within their reach the possibility of um, using web technology to further their aims. So it was very much around like educating, empowering um, civil society and um, activists, um, which is a completely different scene to the one that Code for Australia works in. Um, so again, serves the same purpose and sort of there's a bridging thing, but it's bridging for a completely different reason.
1: The situation uh, in Japan uh, in the civic tech scene is a little bit different. We also work with the ministries and then we want to empower uh, public officers uh, but uh, also we have more local civic tech committees uh, more than uh, they are more than eighty. Uh, communities in Japan and then all of them uh, have uh, each of them have a different uh, purpose Uh, but they uh, are trying to introduce uh, technology uh, to their community and then we we already have tons of like lectures to introduce uh, data analysis or web development and or other technical, te- other technological uh, skills, but we didn't have a, a lecture to introduce who is engineers, are how its engineers uh, look like. I mean, like how to work with them, like in a great, in a good relationship. And then I think I will, we will introduce, we will, Explain more about the uh, activities in tech for non-tech, but uh, with uh, in tech for non-tech, there are many there are many unique activities which can uh, accelerate uh, communication um, between the engineers and non-tech people. So, yeah, so we were looking for these kind of activities which we can introduce to the community to help them to. Introduce the power of the technology. So that is the one of the purpose uh, for Code for Japan.
0: Next, I, I would be curious to get into some of like your uh, y'all's both of your personal experience kind of with the program, as I imagine y'all have maybe either the same or maybe differing experiences around like facilitating something like this. W- what has that been like for y'all? And are there any like preferred practices that you've picked up along the way as you've learned?
1: After the exchange program, uh, Handover program, uh, we organized three non tech for non-tech, uh, in Japan, and then what we have found was academic institutions uh, in Japan are getting uh, interested in our project, uh, which was uh, we which was which we didn't expect, but they are looking for some sort of uh, educational training program that the engineer students uh, can learn how to work with non-tech people. And actually tech tech is really working well for those people. And yeah, so lessons I learned, people are very interested in technology, but they don't, they really don't know how to start with. And even they are not in the tech industry. um, Many project leaders are required to think about how to deal with those new technology, like AI or um, blockchain or many other uh, special uh, technologies. And then they are just leaving it to uh, vendors or like engineers, but they also know it's not solving the problem. Uh, They also need to learn how it works. So what we have found is Yeah, many people are looking for a place to learn uh, technology. And tech phone on tech seems it's really catching the eye, catching attention from those people.
2: What's interesting for me being now kind of on the other side of of an exchange where uh, for the first year or two, I was the person to whom the thing was being handed over to. And so it's interesting being now one of the people who has handed it on to others. Um, one thing that could be useful to know that sort of explains um, the shape of Tech for Non-Tech is that uh, both the, um, the folk in Inspiral Dev Academy, uh, so Ants, Cabral, and Kate Beacroft, and the others um, uh, whose names I forget who were involved with it, and then um, myself, um, we are all facilitators. Um, in terms of our work, uh, what that means is that we are paying a lot of attention and possibly a little bit more attention, which is what keeps us in a job, to what the experience of a gathering is like. So, what does it mean to host people? What does it mean to create a um, safe learning space so that uh, grown ups um, feel comfortable um, saying they don't know? Uh, what does it mean to make it okay to not know? Um, you know, when you're thinking about something like um, how the internet works, right, it's been around, it's been around for a while. And, and as a professional who may have scaled the ladders of whatever organization, you know, you might, you may have a level of seniority in your organization and, and to realize that you don't actually know how this like very, like this ubiquitous thing works and this everyday thing that you interact with, Um, there can be a lot of um, mixed feelings about that. Um, And so that's the kind of jumble of feelings that are are present in each person when they walk into the room, because in a way they're signaling, I I have no idea what this thing is and I actually don't know how it works. And by the way, I've been commissioning tech projects for ages and we've spent, you know, tons of money on stuff. And like to say that you don't know is, is actually quite a big thing to ask of people so as facilitators we're totally primed for creating a learning environment where um, there's playfulness and there's an openness and there's a curiosity to kind of say well it's a shame nobody sat you down and taught you how the internet works because I don't think such a thing exists right no, there's no such class I don't know how you would have worked it out by yourself uh, so it's okay we'll we'll this is just a really rapid class. This is like a very quick class on history of the internet, how it came to be, the very basic building blocks. And then from there, we've essentially provided them a scaffold with uh, or a mental model that they can then hang new information on. So the one of the highest value things I think people leave with is a scaffold that any new information that they read, they can kind of place it on, on a on a sort of a, uh, a frame that uh, we've, we've hopefully shared with them. Um, so the playfulness um, is really around um, moving people into a space of learning and moving in people into a place of curiosity so that they leave empowered to continue their learning and find their own answers in the future.
0: It seems that one of the ways the, the class tries to connect these ideas, and Eileen, I think you're alluding to this a little bit, is through the use of analogs, uh, whether it's you know the use of post notes on a board, or in one case that I read about the assembling of a Lego model. Uh, what sort of things do folks tend to, to learn from those sorts of activities?
2: The thing that is that that most helps is anything that bridges a person's current understanding to the new concept that you are um, sharing with them. So, the, the heart of What Tech for Non-Tech is helping people to come up with language or ways of describing a technical phenomena or a technical thing in language that they, um, in everyday language that they understand. So in um, Western um, culture where English is a dominant language, um, analogies is, you know, are, are a method of doing that. So, when you get somebody to create an analogy about a technical concept, that is one way to to bridge. The other way, and also just because I use Lego in my work, as part of my work, um, getting people to build a model of something. So that's a kind of a form of an analogy, but you kind of just get them to like materialize um, the thing. My chosen uh, thing is Lego. And so that's what I handed over to other people, but other people may choose to use any materials that's, you know, part of what they like to, to work with. And so again, you're, you're inviting people to come at new knowledge by building their own bridge to it. So We don't stand up there. and I mean, there are some definitions that are given there, some explanation of of stuff, but we really ask people to own and take responsibility for their learning um, and to, okay, so what do you think this thing means or how would you describe this thing? And then we use that as a learning opportunity that, you know, we would say, okay, um, the way we would tweak that is this way or the way we would tweak that particular comparison is this way. You don't know what people think until you ask them, right? And <laughs> until they they express it. So we get them to express it uh, when you when you're talking about um, uh, dominant English language places through analogy or through through model making. Lego being a very handy thing to make models. I think it's different in Japan. <laughs>
1: well, we really love the Lego work in Japan. Uh, yeah, we are using it every time, and then. After the act- Lego activity, uh, we always get a really beautiful Lego artwork, but we realize the outcome itself is not only the important thing. That process is more important. That's what we have learned. As you mentioned, Nina, yeah. So without the expressions, people cannot ask questions. So after the Lego activity, people try to explain uh, con- technical concept or words with Uh, legal and then they have realized they have they they will find what part of the concept they want they are interested in or they want to understand. So people can come together and then discuss about uh, the point and then so they can understand the part deeper. So I think this is really important process for the kind of for, for the projects. Because people can stand on the same point and then they can be on the same page. So this kind of modeling is really important. But at the same time, uh, people also, folks also realize they cannot explain completely with the analogy. It's just a first step to understand and also learn the perspective of other uh, teammates.
0: There was a Medium post that I I saw about tech for non-tech. And in it, it's mentioned that one of the five reasons that the program is important is that it's, and to quote, a great model to exchange knowledge, which is developed in local communities. This seems to fit well with the kind of common ideal across a lot of civic tech initiatives, where they talk about uh, like building as a partnership, learning from local expertise. Uh, can we talk a bit about what that looks like for this sort of program and each of your perspectives?
1: When we organized Tech for tech in Japan, the interest of the audience is uh, different uh, from, it's, it's different. So we also needed, we needed to create a new content uh, and material for a Japanese audience. And then one of the things was a uh, data analysis uh, and also data visualization. Audience in Japan are really interested in that data. So we have, created a new content that was something uh, we have tried to fit to the Japanese uh, situation and also yeah uh, the analogy uh, the concept of analogy is also kind of difficult to introduce to a Japanese people but we already have a really traditional how can I say, joking style, it's called uh, Ogiri. It's really similar to Western analogy way of thinking. So we adapt this way of, uh, the, that we, adjust, we adapt this style of the joking. And so people can uh, easy to explain, uh, describe the technological uh, concepts with their words. Yep, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs>
2: The kind of biggest learning I had from participating in the um, exchange was that I I took it on from people who were, you know, the people kind of who created it, who come from a very strong facilitation basis in their work, and they happen to work in and around tech. Similar situation that I'm in. And also New Zealand and Australia culturally are not massively different, right? So we could just lift and drop the thing um, very uh, easily. Um, and so you can imagine that an, another person who had a f- strong facilitation background and whose work practice really involved um, attending to what the experience is like for the humans and who sits in and around tech could easily and and, and is in a Western um, context where in a, like in dominant English language tech for non-tech would just be a, a, a lift and drop. Um, However, when you take it to somewhere like South Africa and take it to somewhere like Japan, um, Japan, South Africa and Australia are all culturally quite different. So whilst we all work in and around tech and we're all part of the civic tech community, the cultures in which we come from and which we are offering this course, it will necessarily have to adapt. So it was fascinating to me that... um, uh, analogies, um, like I would never have known that this concept of an analogy isn't immediately translatable into Japanese culture. Uh, but the, the, the idea was that, well, what it aims to do so in our case it's like it's a bridging mechanism so um we found uh um we added onto it lego like lego was something i added into tech for non-tech and it's hilarious to see that that's kind of carried on so that's wonderful but then analogy has adapted into um or instead and in um, south africa i'm sure there's an there's a there's an adaptation that has occurred um that makes it suitable for that um, location and for, well, not location for that culture and and their culture of learning. Um, And, you know, in, in one interesting thing is that in Australia, um, when you're, we can be very self deprecating. So we can kind of be putting ourselves down a little bit when we're, um, you know, suppose, you know, we could be the experts in the room, but we will quite often be um, sort of self-deprecating in that. And that's a characteristic um, our colleague uh, Ben and myself share a little bit. Whereas I remember we were chatting with um, now and he was saying, you can't like, you have to be the expert. Otherwise people will not listen to you. So when you're at the front of the room, you have to really kind of, stand in your expertise otherwise you will not get people's respect and we're like oh we no <laughs> nobody will listen to us if we're like that in Australia so there's sort of cultural differences around how somebody at the front of a room is regarded and what it means to reveal to your colleagues that you don't know something and all those little 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 moments around the experience means that the, the experience of tech for non-tech just shifts um, to accommodate for that um, cultural difference.
1: If I add to the Lina's point, yes, I was assuming the speaker in the room needs to be like really professional and then expert in the domain. But after the handover program, I have realized it's okay to be you know, to be myself. And with my personal um, with my personality uh, people are I realize people are more tend to listen to me So instead of domain experts like engineers or like professional facilitators facilitate the uh, activities, me facilitate the room, it seems more comfortable for the participants. With my experience, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have a technical background, uh, but I had the experience that working with the engineers or other domain experts, and then I had so many failures and then many mistakes uh, in the project. And then when I share this, my experience, people uh, feel more safe to be not knowing everything. And so, yeah, I try to be myself uh, in the, as a facilitator in the, in the workshop. So I, I realize participants can feel more confident or comfortable.
0: So as we know, uh, ultimately, uh, organizations were able to uh, procure a grant to like help support this program. And I believe we've mentioned a bit how like some level of this is kind of this idea of like a business model that is being shared. And uh, what I wonder is, what sort of impact does access to resourcing like that have to how you think about a program like this and, and how it ultimately ends up being run?
2: This is absolutely a business model question Um, and I love that you're asking this and I'm going to uh, zoom us out a little bit out of civic tech. Another really, really big part about tech for non-tech, which really held my fascination and um, was uh, the possibility that we could have a business, like what does it mean to have a scalable business model that can be localised? And what does it mean to um, offer um, an income stream to your colleagues around the world? But an income stream that once you hand it over, there is absolutely nothing you can do for that opportunity to bring money in. It now sits entirely in somebody else's hands and what they make of it. Part of the handover was consideration about what is the receiving organisation's capacity to do something with this right we're going to invest it it, it took we did about 6 there were 6 90 minute weekly calls before the handover then three of us flew halfway around the world and we're in a location for a week where we delivered the course three times three times yeah where there was like we uh we the ones who knew how to do it delivered it and we were observed and then the people observing then took it on and delivered it. And then there was like, you know, so it was, it was quite a busy week. Um, And then come back and then do some follow-up calls that that's actually quite an investment of time on a whole heap of people's efforts and, and life. And so you'd want to know before going into that, that, that whoever's picking it up can actually do something with it. And so I think it's, you know, Part of that question is funding. And part of that is um, the organizational's capacity. So if you think of funding as a proxy for having the headspace to do something, then yeah, sure, funding does matter. I mean, Code for Australia was able to do it because we we're a viable business. And we did track how much time we were spending on, um, on it. And we priced it so that it um, so that our costs were covered, and that we made a margin, and we also had an agreement that a certain percentage of everyone 's ticket sales goes into a central pool that particular ideal i 'm not sure how that's i 'm um, not so sure how that 's played out um, now that it 's with lots of other organizations, but certainly between us and Dev Academy, we had a central pool, so we were giving a portion of the ticket sales back to Dev Academy to cover new content being developed so was, the idea was that um, um, the thing would be self funding in a way, so everybody puts a chip off their ticket sales into a central pool and then that central pool pays for new content and maintaining the you know making slide decks look better and things like that um, so if code for Australia hadn't been a financially viable you know if we were like busy scrambling for grants and busy running things, so that we get more grants and money and keeping our funders happy, we just would not have had the headspace to, to, to bring the creativity that's needed to, to launch a, a whole new service offering or a whole new thing. Um, likewise, um, I guess, you know, a useful observation that there was a set of things true for Code for Japan and a set of things true for code uh, for Open Up South Africa, and the reality of both of these organisations means that the, the tech for non-tech has taken, you know, has not been as fast in one and has has blossomed in the other. So maybe that's a funding question, but I think it's it's like more broader, like capacity. Like uh, now. I believe has a very demanding full-time job is <laughs> not, he, he's not just doing code for Japan stuff. So, uh, you know, in a way, now and myself, we both had jobs. Um, and that meant that we're able to be a bit more creative about the stuff we do outside of that.
0: So eventually of course uh, your two organizations that ended up like, and, and South Africa's organization ended up all kind of doing an actual exchange. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about that act in and of itself. So, can we dig into like what what's all involved in trying to do the actual exchange and like that transfer of knowledge, that that sort of activity?
2: Making the exchange happen, um, first of all, needed um, the support of the leadership of um, each of those organisations uh, because it would mean a significant um, it mean a significant investment of time on their people's part. So yeah, just a a shout out to the the people at um, Open Up um, South Africa and Code for Japan and Code for Australia for, uh, uh, you know, enabling the people to participate in the exchange. What else was needed? um, And and this was, I guess, a really big part of the ethos of the tech for non-tech extending the global network, which was something that um, and Spiral Dev Academy and, and I had chatted about was first and foremost, it's about a values alignment. So because, as I mentioned before, because tech for non-tech can actually be, it's a very general purpose training program. And because it can be offered in all sorts of different contexts, what we were interested in is handing it over to people who we felt would be, would do good with it, <laughs> which is a very arbitrary thing as to, you know, whose version of good. And so um, in order to kind of say, yes, I, I hand this over to you and I feel you'll do do good with it, um, that's entirely around values alignment. So being part of the code for all network, there's a bunch of stuff that's already been worked out, right? Those organisations wouldn't be in the code for all network had a bunch of other things not happened. So that kind of values aspect of it, Fit really well. So that's kind of the, the sort of like uh, the, the background work. And it's almost like the background work was the bigger work that needed to happen. Once you agree that, it's then just like scheduling calls, sitting on Zoom for like hours and hours and hours, booking flights, being in a place. And there was a whole kind of process we uh, plotted out together as to asking our uh, partner organizations. What do you need? What like? What would you help? What would help you feel okay to take this back to your context? Going to uh, South Africa, um, you know, it was really great. Um, our colleague Ben and now and myself were all in one house in Cape Town, very walking, you know, walking distance to where Kota Bridge. I think the space that um, open up, um, operate out of, which is this fantastic space, literally under a bridge. Um, really really cool workspace and then they hosted us for the week and the first day you know on a five-day schedule we kind of arrived and you know hook into the wi-fi and eat their snacks and get to see what they're working on and then the second day we uh, delivered the content so uh, Ben and I from Code for Australia delivered the content to a group that they had already previously organized what we didn't realize is that it was a group in a regional area so we we were all in a van from like 5am till 10pm, like driving out, uh, running a full day and then driving back. Um, so, you know, being in a van is a great knowledge transfer <laughs> space <laughs> as is being in a, i mean, being in a house was its own thing. We had some really fantastic chats you know, before and after and just like hanging out. Being in a van is a whole other thing because then there's like all of us in there and, and there's some, there was something really excellent about that that we learnt about each other and about each other's culture and uh, whilst driving through this incredible landscape, came back, did a retro regather, blah, 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 and then it switched over to uh Japan and Open Up South Africa to then run the a thing to a group that, again, um, Open Up had... Um, had had um, assembled or invited and then the friday was kind of part retro part celebration part just all hang out so there was um, some really wonderful moments of friendship and i feel like that was just like the spirit of civic tech like coming to life like the way we hung out being from completely different cultures completely different countries completely different work backgrounds that we could kind of come together share this thing create something and then take it back and we remain, even though I haven't seen now on a Zoom call for a year, where you know we're on Slack together and we both blogged about this as well. We now remain in relation to each other. So um, it's not it's not a transactional relationship where he paid for something and then I gave him something and then that's it, we say bye. It's like it's a very relational um uh, the process was very much around building relationships, and the lines are always open. So, in five years' time, these, you know, when they're running tech for non-tech in whatever form, and they have a question about something, that those lines will just always be open.
1: So, before this Handover program or exchange program, only way we can expand our network is just attending an international civic tech conference or just you know, visit someone in the other country. That was the only way we were able to talk about civic tech uh, in other countries. But through this process, yeah, uh, as Nina mentioned, like, we, we were able to uh, build a friendship. I think that was great. And then it is, I think this handover process was very important. Through the process, we were able to, communicate and discuss and then exchange the uh, knowledge. I think that was a very good opportunity or it was a good way to start a conversation and start asking like, what is the situation in your country? And then share like, what is the situation in Japan? So yeah, I believe that was a very great opportunity. So we will be, we are are able to be a friend.
0: As our conversation draws to its conclusion here, one of the things that we like to do on Civic Tech Chat is to give some space at the end here for the guest, or in this case, guests, uh, the two of you, to monologue a bit and kind of give us an idea of what you'd like uh, us, the listeners, to be thinking about as we leave the talk. So for each of you, what would those concluding thoughts be?
1: Tech for tech progra- program for Code for Japan was very great opportunity thanks to the code for this exchange program we were able to meet a new community contributor uh hiromi Uh, is taking she has been taking care of translate uh localized the content for a japanese audience and then also managing the whole project in japan Uh, but without this new project we haven't we were not able to meet this new uh, contributor. And then even for myself, uh, with the tech for non-tech uh, project, I am able to working, working more closely with the Code for Japan. So I really appreciate this opportunity. And also, yeah, we, as we have just mentioned, we were able to meet you guys. Uh, that's also a really great opportunity for us.
2: I really liked what uh, what you said before now around um, friendship, and sometimes for those of us working in in tech, um, I'll speak for myself that um, being able to to name um, these kind of more human. <laughs> aspects of, of, um, of being a human um, does not come easily. So I really appreciate you. You, um, I think I wanted to say friendship and then I, you know, I was like, oh, I might be overstating the relationship <laughs> if I say that. Um, but, yeah, just um, I think at a, uh, you know, we're at this, like, incredible moment in time, right? Those of us working in tech and design, holy moly, like, what a time to be alive and to be in this field and, and you know, all the, like, collection of privileges that have arrived us here um, and, 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 of course, you know, your individual effort. Um, but, I, you know, there's, there's this interesting reality we, we exist in where the consequences of some of the tech that a bunch of us have been involved in building Has had a result of atomizing and disintegrating collectives, right? So, you know, when you know, I'm I'm sort of probably stating the obvious here around the ways in which human community and 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 relations have become atomized, and how our concerns have become kind of very personalized rather than um, uh, uh, generally. Community-minded, and the ways in which there's so many ways in which um, interactions um, have been reduced to transactions, and so this is sort of just this like irony of this wonderful place we are in as uh, technologists, um, and you know, including design, and the um, undeniable um, effect (laughs) that (laughs) deploying our talents has on humanity, and so. I think it's in that context that tech for non-tech sort of popped up as one of many possibilities. It's not the only thing doing this, but it's sort of one of many possibilities, which is about bringing people into relation with each other. So uh, the handover, as we've both spoken about, was um, a very relational experience. So like going over was very relational, even the way it was set up and the fact that this happened in the code for all network, again that's a highly rel- relational space something about that kind of gives me hope so uh, something about the the possibility that uh, within open source communities we can come into relation through the technology we're making or through the things we're creating is, is a really energizing and a thing that fills me with hope and you know the 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 irony with tech one on tech is that it, it by its nature cannot go viral like it can only move at human pace and humans humans don't move at, at you know virality or uh, is not is not a is not a feature of humanity like we we can't you can't scale tech one non-tech so <laughs> there's something stubbornly slow about it <laughs> that, that i really like yeah it's just never going to scale on the shape of those things that scale because um humans just like physically cannot move that fast and we cannot learn that fast. So having this thing that is just stubbornly slow and slows things down and it takes a day because that's how long it takes for a person to get from A to B on a concept they've not encountered before. Um, so yeah, um, those would be my, my closing thoughts.
0: Lena, now I I want to thank you both for taking the time out of your day to come on civic tech chat I've very much enjoyed this conversation and I have no doubt that the listeners out there will take tremendous value out of what we've heard today.
2: Thanks for having us on, Ryan. Really appreciate the opportunity to um, to reflect. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at Civic Tech Chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.